just getting involved in our community and giving financially. And that's not coming as uh, just in time for us because we're expecting our third child, a baby girl, any day now. So thank you for your support. You've been a big part of getting off us off to a great start. And we appreciate your, your brotherhood, your friendship, and everything you do to help us make the hope of Jesus real in the Colorado Springs neighborhoods. Have a great Sunday. Good morning, everybody. How you guys doing? Good. I'm doing great. My name is Matt Wolf. I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm so glad you're here today because I care about you. I really do. I love you, and I love this church. It's a good church, isn't it? Yeah, it's so awesome to be a part of a church. It's all about helping people follow Jesus, and that's what we do here. And we support other churches that do the same. In our Converge network that we're a part of, we support Hope Colorado Springs and Colorado Springs. Um, and all sorts of churches around the country and the world because we want people to know that hope of Jesus Christ. That's what we're all about here. And today we're going to talk about that because sometimes it seems like Christianity is dying. You ever thought that? You ever wondered, is Christianity dying? Is this just kind of one of those uh, religions that will go the way of the dodo bird, the extinct? Because what we see around us are churches that die. You ever seen that? You ever been part of one? I was a part of one as a kid that doesn't even exist anymore. Churches die. We see that. We see church buildings that once held worshipers that now are museums. My wife went to a doctor's office in an old church building. Here in Colorado, you can go clubbing in an old church, right? Don't raise your hand if you've been there. You can even go join the church of cannabis down the street. And if you thought that's what you were getting this morning, I'm sorry. Not today. Not here. But you can. There's churches all around us that are dying. And there's even denominations that are dying. Have you seen that? Denominations that seem like year after year their numbers are going down and down, dwindling. Half of what they were 50 years ago. This is what happens. We see it all around us. And we wonder, is Christianity dying? We look at regions in our country seems like all of New England. Where are the churches there? Some of you are from that region and you say that. Hey, it seems like Christianity is dying because all over the place are just old church buildings. There's no one meeting in them. Entire countries seems like Christianity is dying in. You know what I'm talking about? Western Europe? It seems that way. And it's tough. It's sad. But the reality is that Christianity is not dying. It's growing. It's growing exponentially at certain places in our world. And we're going to talk about that today. Because God's kingdom is always growing. That's how God established it to be. That's what Jesus predicted 2,000 years ago would happen. And it continues to happen to this day. And we can, should, and must be a part of it. So in this series, Kingdom Vision, we're looking at some of the parables that Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 13. These stories that he would tell of just ordinary, everyday things. 
You use them to reveal much deeper truths about the kingdom of God. This invisible power of God that's at work in people's hearts and minds all around the world, all around us. And in the first week in this series, we learn that we have to see the world with kingdom vision. We have to begin to see these invisible things because God is at work and we've got to train ourselves and learn how to see. And through faith, we begin to see those things. And even beforehand, that you couldn't see at all. I spoke with a, with a young lady who's a recent um, a follower of Jesus. And she said, man, I see everything differently. It seems like the whole world's different. I read the Bible differently. And I said, yeah, you're getting this kingdom vision. This is what happens when God begins to stir in your heart. So we begin to see the world with kingdom vision. But then in the next week, we learn that we've got to cultivate the seeds of the kingdom. As we tell people about the kingdom of this king named Jesus, who has come to love them, save them, and die for them, that we've got to cultivate that seed, help people grow up in faith, give people a a chance to, to get some roots and grow and produce fruit. And that's what we're doing here in our church. And then last week, we talked about a specific aspect of the kingdom of God, Because we need to learn to let God determine who's in and who's out. We don't need to figure out, are you a Christian or are you not? Are you a believer? Are you a follower of Jesus? Or are you going to hell? That's not our job. God can handle that. He knows people's hearts. We don't. We just do what? Love. We show grace. We show compassion to all people. And that's the culture we want to develop and help grow in our church. One of grace and compassion, not judgmentalism. So that's what we've seen so far in this series. But today in our parable, we're actually going to look at two very short parables that Jesus taught. We're going to see that the kingdom is growing and we need to be a part of it. Very simple. I want to challenge you to be a part of the growing kingdom. Because it is growing, even if it looks like it's not. Yes, Christianity has lost a lot of its cultural influence in our nation. But that doesn't mean it's not growing. It is It's growing all around us and all around the world. And we are going to be a part of it as individuals and as a church. Okay? So let's open up your Bibles if you have them with you or you can look on a smartphone. Open up to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. We are going to start in verse 31 today. In verse 31 of Matthew 13, we read that Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven, he says, is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field, though it is the smallest of all seeds. Yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. It's a pretty short parable, I told you, right? Very short parable. Jesus said, hey, the kingdom of heaven is like this, this tiny little seed that gets started, one of the tiniest seeds in the world. When you plant it, it grows into a huge, enormous bush, even a tree. I have a little video because most of us don't know this strain of mustard seed that exists in the Middle East. And in this little video, if we can play that, Kelly, you can see that these mustard seeds come from these pods on the trees, on the bushes of the mustard seed. But when you break open those little pods, it's filled with tiny, tiny little seeds. You see how tiny those things are? In the Middle East, these were the smallest known cultivated seeds there were. But look at the tree that can come out of it. These giant bushes really were considered trees in that day because birds birds could perch on the branches of those um, giant bushes. They would grow somewhere between 8, 15, some said to be uh, up to 25 feet tall from just that tiny little seed. 
And I think it's so important for us to understand that, that these little tiny seeds become something huge. Jesus says that is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Starts out small, insignificant, so tiny that you might not even notice it's there, and yet it is growing and will continue to grow to be huge, to bless even the birds around. That's the first parable Jesus tells, but then he tells a second one with a very similar, maybe even the same message. Verse 33, let's look at this together. It says that he told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. See the second parable that Jesus teaches? And then there's kind of like this narrative that Matthew gives explaining what was going on. In verse 34, it says that Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouths in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. That's a quote from Asaph in Psalm 78. So Jesus was fulfilling these expectations to teach with parables. These stories about simple things like a mustard seed or yeast. Anybody eat bakers in here? Do you see some hands? Anybody like to bake bread? Has anybody baked bread before? There's like three people in here. Man, let's bake some more bread together. Who in here, though, has watched a baking show? Now everybody's hand goes up. Yeah, okay, there we go. I get it, I get it. But yeah, if you ever make... Bread, you realize that you have to put in this yeast in there, and, and we buy them in these little tiny packets, and you tear it open. It's just this tiny little powder, and you powder, and you mix it with the flour, and you don't even notice it's there. You don't see it. So as you're mixing it into the dough, and you're kneading the dough, and then you let it rise, all of a sudden that little tiny powder that you put in there that was practically invisible has now made 60 pounds. Jesus said 60 pounds of dough rise to become rolls or bread or whatever type of bread that you're making. And this bread with 60 pounds of flour probably would make enough food for rolls for 100, maybe 150 people. This is a huge amount that one woman can make with just a tiny little bit of yeast, right? See the similarity between these two parables? Jesus is saying, hey, the kingdom of heaven, it starts out small. It seems insignificant. It seems like it doesn't even matter. And yet somehow it has made this huge production. A tree has grown up from this tiny seed, and a whole batch of rolls has been made with a tiny little bit of yeast. What Jesus is saying is that even though it looks small and insignificant, the kingdom of God becomes something huge, immense, that will infiltrate, like the yeast, everything. That's what the kingdom of heaven is. That's the kingdom that Jesus talked about, that he was the king. And we know that Jesus was right. Because Jesus came and he seemed kind of insignificant. Born in a tiny little town of about 200 people, Bethlehem. He was this Jewish man in a a podunk village. The Roman Empire, that was centered in Europe, in Rome, in Italy. But in this backwater little rural community came this man. And he went and he went out into the rural areas. Middle Israel, maybe you could call it. And he went and spent time with those people and the people that nobody else would hang out with. The lepers who were cast out of the society at the time, the prostitutes, even the tax collectors who everyone hated. Jesus spent time with those people, the outcasts. And when he spent time with them, teaching them, loving them, giving them parables like this, then he went and had even a, I don't even know how to say this, a more insignificant death. 
Jesus was one among hundreds of thousands of people crucified and executed by the Roman Empire. We think of this as cruel and unusual punishment, but back then it was normal. The Roman Empire killed everyone this way. There were thousands of criminals. Even the day Jesus was executed, there were two criminals on his right and his left. It was very common for people to be executed by the Roman Empire. They were experts at it. And that is how Jesus, the king of the universe, chose to die. What an insignificant way to go. At least that's what it looks like, right? But we know what happened. We know that when the king of kings died on a cross with a crown of thorns around his head, that he died so that anyone who puts their faith in him could be forgiven of their sins and find true eternal life. We know that Jesus didn't stay dead, but on the third day rose from the dead and taking, so he took this something insignificant, just one more death, and he turned it into something that had never happened before, a resurrection. It's pretty incredible, isn't it? We know that this insignificant start would spur something great and incredible. Because Jesus was just that one man. And even when he died, even when he died, his 12 followers abandoned him. He was all alone. But then those 12 followers came back after Jesus rose from the dead. And then the 12 became 120 before Jesus ascended into heaven. And the 120 were praying, trying to figure out what to do. And then Peter went out and preached when the Holy Spirit came on him, God's Holy Spirit. And he went out and preached one message, and 3,000 people came to faith that one day. 3,000 people became followers of Jesus and were baptized, because that is a sign of public faith. 3,000. And then we read a little bit later in the book of Acts, 5,000 people came to faith. And then we know that Christianity continued to grow and develop. In Jerusalem, there were so many that they got kicked out. And then Israel, and then Christianity began to spread into North Africa and Egypt, into Europe, where in just 300 years, the entire Roman Empire would be Christian. Incredible. Entire nations after that, European nations, would become Christian. People declaring faith in Jesus Christ. And then Christianity began to spread even farther. I have this little video from someone from the uh, business insider that put this together, as you see that Christianity begins to spread into Europe, into Northern Europe, into the United Kingdom today. And even though Christianity, it seems like, was dwindling during the time of the Crusades and the Muslim expansion, Christianity continued to expand. It began to expand all the way into Northern Europe and then into South, Central, and North America, into Asia and places in Africa. And it kept expanding and expanding, growing and growing, Africa. And this is where we are today, that as of today, there are about 2.4 billion people who claim the name of Christ. Incredible, right? Incredible. Do you know what else sets Christianity apart? I got this from a historian, that Christianity doesn't have a central hub. Have you ever thought about that? Every religion in the world has a central hub. Islam started in Arabia, in Saudi Arabia, at Mecca. And that still is the center of Islam to this day. If you look at Hinduism, started in India, it still is the central hub of Hinduism. Buddhism in the Far East, it's still the central hub of Buddhism. But not Christianity. Started in Jerusalem, went to Alexandria, North Africa, into Rome, to the Byzantine Empire, and then up northern Europe into North America. And did you know today 
that over 50% of Christians are in the southern hemisphere? Did you know that? Did you know in the year 1900, there was 1% of the population of Africa that were believers in Jesus? Today, it's over 50% of Africa. Did you know this? See, we don't even realize this, that we as uh, those of us who are white Christians, we're the minority of Christians in the world because the kingdom keeps growing and expanding. And I love that because that is exactly what Jesus said was going to happen. Christianity continues to grow and be established. Philip Jenkins has a great book called The Next Christendom, if you really want to read about this. He gives a lot of the statistics and numbers so you can see this, and even gives some predictions based on population trends. He says that by the year 2050, so in about 30 years from now, the number of Christians in Africa and Asia will double again. There will be over 3 billion people who name the name of Jesus Christ. Christianity is growing and will continue to grow because that is what the kingdom does. Did you know this? Maybe for some of you this is brand new news. They don't really talk about it. It just seems like Christianity is dwindling and dying here in North America and Western Europe, but it's not. It's growing just like Jesus said it would. And as the kingdom grows, as the kingdom expands, it begins to make our world a better place. It's true. It makes the world a better place. Christians, when they go into these countries, even to this day, like Grant was talking about in Papua New Guinea, do you know what Christians also bring in addition to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Literacy. We have the word of God. We want you to read it. So we're going to teach you how to read. We're even going to give you a written language, maybe for the first time, so that you can read the Bible. A lot of even the educational institutions of our country were started because of Christians. You go to Harvard, Yale, and Princeton, all Christian origins. Because Christians care about people being able to read. And then they can have a better life because we want everyone to experience the benefits of the kingdom, even if they're not part of it through faith. We do. Christians bring um, food. They help fight poverty and hunger around the world. This is what Christians do. We make the world a better place wherever we go. Democracy is spread through Christians. Did you know of our founding fathers, though, at those who were at the um, Constitutional Convention, 93% of them were confessing Christians? 93%. Our nation was birthed out of Christianity because we wanted a nation that treated people with dignity and respect. Written into our Constitution, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. Where did they get that from? Where does even the idea of human rights that people talk about come from? Christianity, because we believe that every man, every woman, every person is created in the image of God. We have to treat people with dignity and respect. And as that idea spreads, it helps the world become a better place. It's at the heart of our beliefs as Christians. See, Christianity is bringing better things. Even today, most of the nonprofits that are started out are started by Christians, people of faith that want to help. Hospitals in our country, you ever wondered why they're all Good Samaritan or St. Luke's? You know, there are, so many of them have those Christian origins because we want people to have better physical health because we love them. See, Christianity is expanding, and as it does, it makes the world a better place. C.S. Lewis said this about the kingdom. He said that Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say landed in disguise. 
and is calling us all to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. You like that? The king has landed. He's here and the kingdom is growing. It didn't come with horses and a huge army, a takeover. That's what people are expecting. And then when Jesus said it would just be this tiny insignificant seed, this little yeast that you don't even notice is there, but it's going to have a huge impact, Jesus says. It's going to be huge. You know, we expect the opposite, don't we? We expect big fanfare, trumpets, great musicians. Whenever there's a big event or when Apple unveils their new product, everybody's there, all the reporters. You see it up on the screen. And then do you remember Steve Jobs when he said, there's one more thing, right? Do you remember that? And then he brought out the iPod. Oh my gosh, revolutionizing the world. Do you know where my iPod is now, my original one? It's at the bottom of some box somewhere, right? Good for nothing more than a paperweight. Do you know where Steve Jobs is? Dead. But not with Jesus. Not with the kingdom of God. Jesus is the king and he's not dead. And the product he made, us Christians, believers, continues to grow and expand and have more and more influence around the world. I think Jesus knew what he was doing, right? Dying on a cross in such a small and significant way would transform the world, and is continuing to transform it. C.S. Lewis, in his um, book, The Chronicles of Narnia, that series, in, in the first one, in The Lion and the Witch in the Wardrobe, he has a great, I think, image of what this kingdom of God is like. Because if, if you read that book or seen the movie, you know that the evil queen was in charge of the world, right, of Narnia. And when the evil queen was ruling, it was always winter but never Christmas, Man, ugh, it'd be like the last few days forever, right? Or I think for Coloradans, maybe he would have said, it's always winter but no mountains. Oh my gosh. Be the worst. Oh. That's what it was like in this world where the evil queen was ruling. But yet, when Aslan came, and if you remember, Aslan is the lion, and he dies and then rises from the dead. You see any, notice any parallels? When Aslan rises from the dead, wherever he goes, the snow and ice begins to melt. That Father Christmas, the Santa Claus figure in England, shows up and gives people presents. Life is getting better. The people that had been turned to stone all of a sudden begin to thaw and become real, living, moving human beings or creatures again. I think C.S. Lewis was showing that that is what the kingdom of God is like. That where Jesus and his influence goes... The world becomes a better place. The kingdom expands its influence and its numbers again and again and again throughout history. Some of you may say, well, Matt, what about all the awful things Christians have done in history? What about the Crusades, the Inquisition? What about the Salem witch trials? Yeah, there are some bad things Christians have done throughout history and continue to do to this day. Those are people who do not do what Jesus says. Sadly, they continue to use his name. And I think we can all apologize for that. It's terrible that any of those things happened or continue to happen to this day. But that's not what the kingdom is about. We learned last week, right? We're not supposed to judge people. We're not supposed to execute people. We're supposed to love people and show them grace. And I think it's interesting, too, is wherever you see that happen, that's where Christianity has dwindled in all those locations. If you're thinking, well, well Matt... Why is there still so many bad things today if there are so many Christians? Well, we've got a lot of work to do, don't we? We've got a lot of work to do. We still need to keep praying like Jesus taught us 
Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because there's so much sin and evil still in this world. We have work still to do. As good as things are compared to 100 years ago. And they are way better than 100 years ago. We've still got a ton of work to do as Christians. But let's go back to the original question I posed. Why does it seem like Christianity is dying? Why is it? If all these great things are happening, why does it seem like Christianity is dying? Well, here's the thing. It is dying places. It is dying places in regions and in entire countries. Philip Yancey, though, I think has an interesting perspective on this, and I think he's right. Philip Yancey said that as I trial, as I travel, I have observed a pattern, a strange historical phenomenon of God moving geographically from the Middle East to Europe to North America to the developing world. My theory is this, he writes, God goes where he is wanted. Hmm. God goes where he is wanted. See, the kingdom is not dwindling. It is not diminishing, though it is in certain places. Jesus would even say of the kingdom in, in, in Matthew chapter 16, if we have that verse, he said, I will build my church and the forces of Hades will not overpower it. It's going to continue to grow. It just might not grow where you want it to. And I would even push it a little bit farther than Philip Yancey. I wouldn't even just say it's where people want it to. I would say it's where people realize it's not about them and want to pass it on to the next person. That's where you see Christianity continue to grow. Early on in my ministry, while I was still in seminary, I preached at a church here in Denver. And it was um, about 30 people, and the youngest person there was 75 years old. We kind of laugh right now, but it was sad. I preached for them, and they were continuing to meet every single week in their old church building that they had met in for the last 70 years, 80 years. Same group of people, and yet there was no heart for the lost. They did no outreach. They did nothing to bring in new people. They didn't change any of their old ways of doing things to make it more easily understood for the younger generation. It made me sad. And I have seen that again and again and again in our country. When people think it's about them, the church begins to die. Because here's the reality. It's not about us. We get it so we can pass it on to the next person. We hear about Jesus Christ so we can tell another person. Our generation receives the good news so we can pass it on to the next generation and the next culture and the next country. How can we pass on the gospel to the next people? How can we tell them about the good news that Jesus Christ died for them, that they can be forgiven of all their sins, that they can have eternal joy, hope, and peace that begins right now in this life? How can we keep that to ourselves? See, I think that God is challenging us to be a part of of the growing kingdom. I think that's what God is doing and Jesus was doing as he taught this parable. It's growing. The question is, are you going to be a part of it? Because if you don't want to be God, we'll give it to someone else. I think part of this is the pruning that Jesus talked about in John chapter 15. John chapter 15, Jesus says, My father cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. 
guys got this? Those 30 people will stay there until they close their doors. They stop having the money to fund that church. And sadly, that happens again and again in our country. But it's not supposed to be like that. Jesus wants us to bear fruit so that our kids and grandkids, our great-grandkids and generations after us will know about Jesus. So that people that we don't even know, that we meet, that we invite into our community will come to know Jesus and have their lives transformed. There are so many people here in Denver and around the world that need to hear this news. And I hope that we will be a part of it. Because I can tell you, I want to be a part of it. I hope you do as well. Another Christian historian, uh, another Christian historian who is also a missionary, um, Latourette, He said, um, I do not fear that God's work will not get done. But I have every fear that it will get done without me. Seriously, God's kingdom is growing. Jesus said, look at it. It's going to keep growing. The question is, are you going to be a part of it? There was this interesting dialogue that happens in the book of Esther. Kenton Chan, one of our elders, preached on that back in November. And in Esther, of course, there's this evil king that wants to kill everyone. Um, actually, Haman does, who's working for the king, and he gets the king to want to kill everyone. So Mordecai, one of God's people, the Jews, goes to Esther, who is his cousin and the queen. He says, you've got to go talk to the king. You're, you're a Jew. You've got to help save God's people. You've got to do it. She doesn't want to. It's uncomfortable. It's dangerous. Literally, she could be killed if she goes in the king's presence without his permission. She's reluctant. She even says, no, no, I can't do it. But Mordecai says, if you don't do it, deliverance for God's people will come from someone else, from somewhere else. He doesn't doubt that God will save his people. He says, if you're not going to do it, somebody else will. And I think that's the same thing with the kingdom of God. Are you going to be a part of it? Because if you're not, God will find someone who's willing. If this church isn't willing, he'll find another church down the street. He'll find a different denomination. He'll find a different region, a different country that will pick up the mantle of the gospel to pass it on to others. That's why we see churches, denominations, and entire regions and countries of the world where the Christian population is dwindling. Philip Jenkins, in his predictions, he says that of all the continents in the world, it's only Western Europe that will have a shrinking Christian population over the next 30 years. And I don't want that to happen to our country. I don't want that to happen to this region of the country. I don't want it to happen in this church. I'm going to fight for that, and I hope you guys will too. I hope that you guys will say, I will be a part of God's growing kingdom. I will pass it on to others, to other in the next generation. I will be a part of the growing kingdom. Because if you're not willing, God will find somebody else who is. So I hope that you will say today, Matt, I do want to be a part of this. I do want to be a part of this growing kingdom. Well, I have a few applications that we can do today. Here's the first one. Pray. Seriously. That, when, when his disciples were saying, hey, well, we're all, there's all these people around here, and Jesus said, hey, the harvest is plentiful. There's lots of people who are ready and waiting for this spiritual truth of the gospel. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest then to send more workers into the harvest field. We need to pray that God would raise us up and others up to go out into the harvest fields. Pray that God would open up people's hearts. 
that he would give them eyes to see the truth of the kingdom and who Jesus is. We need to pray for that fervently because God is the one who can do that. The second thing that we need to do is we need to anticipate growth. Anticipate growth. Yes, it's possible that our church will be the one that dies. But we need to anticipate growth. If Jesus said the kingdom would continue to grow, let's hope that it goes here. Let's pray for it and let's anticipate that growth. So with that anticipation means that our parking lot is going to get more full here. It's already full. You're right, Randy. It's already full. So meaning those of us who are here and this is our church home, we realize it's going to be tough getting here. Maybe I should get here early. Maybe I should go park on the street so that I can give our guests a chance to park close. I'm not talking to those who are having physical issues or have a tiny baby to carry in. I'm talking about you. You know who you are. Okay, this, this is a good challenge because we're anticipating growth, right? We're praying for growth so we can do that. And we cannot be upset when someone sits in our seat. We can even move forward a little bit because you know what the best seats in the house are? No, the back. In, <laughs> yeah, in church people want to sit in the back. Symphony, they might want the front row seats, but not, you know, I get it. They're sneaking in a little nervous, right? I get it. If that's you here today, please stay in the back seats. But for those of us who are calling this their church home, maybe scoot forward a little bit, even though it's a little awkward and uncomfortable in the front row, right? Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Stephen Kelly. These are some things that we can do as we anticipate growth, that we can invite people. That's why we're, we're doing this big Easter outreach. We're, we're going to go all out this year, all out this year, because that's a time when people are somewhat willing to go to church when they win it the rest of the year. We're going big. We're praying for big things this year. And you guys are all going to invite someone, right? Because we're a part of the growing kingdom. We've got to invite someone. If they say no, oh, well, there'll be somebody else who will say yes. Or maybe you'll keep bugging that person until they do come. You'll have them over for brunch afterwards or before and say, hey, then we'll go to church together. Oh, do I have to? Yes. It'll be good. That's what we're doing because we're anticipating growth. You know, we're even thinking about that here as a church. We're, we're penciling in right now this fall, this September probably, for a time to add a third service in our church. Yeah. Because we realize that, yeah, we could probably pack more people in here in between our two services, but there's a lot of people that work Sunday mornings where their kids are in sports or they're skiing or hiking on the weekend or have to, you know, they're sleeping in because they're college students. We want to reach them with Jesus too. Why do we make them, force them to come just on Sunday mornings? So we're praying and thinking, where can, when can we add a third service? So some of you in here need to just anticipate that and maybe you need to volunteer for that service. Maybe to help out because we're going to need a lot more hands. It takes a lot of people to run a service here. Maybe you're just going to commit and say, hey, I'm going to go to that service for a few months to get it off the ground, and I'm going to invite friends to that service. Because we're anticipating growth. And growth is sometimes awkward and hurts, right? Growing pains. It's the same thing in our church. It can be awkward, and, and we just want to anticipate that. Know that that's coming. And, and we're going to try it. We're going to experiment a little bit with that and maybe do some different, a different style for our night service but we're doing it whatever we can to reach more people for the kingdom. We want to be a part of the growing kingdom. Those are some of the things that we're thinking about right now. And there's going to be even more after that. I mean, this auditorium is amazing. We're the only church here in Stapleton that has their own building. Incredible that God has given us this gift. But at some point, we're going to run out of room here. We're already talking about if we open up a balcony, where do we put the kids' classrooms? We're going to have to figure out more spacing for that. There's no room for more parking. What are we going to do about that? We're trying to figure out all these issues and analyze them. And I know that's going to mean some changes in the future. 
And then even at this location, maybe God, we're anticipating and praying, will mean that we can't just stay here. We need to plant more churches, like the one in Colorado Springs, or even more in this area. Maybe we need to plant new locations. We don't know, but we know that the kingdom of God is growing, and we want to be a part of it. And I hope that you guys do as well. So that's just kind of giving you a little bit of prediction about what's going on in the future. We don't know. We're praying for all of this, and we're going to anticipate God growing here. There's two other things. I want you to think, well, how could I serve the kingdom here? We want you to serve somewhere. Yeah, God may call you to serve outside of our church. Awesome. Please do it. But maybe there's a role that you could pick up here in the church that would really help. Next week, we're going to have an opportunity for you to fill some things out. But even in your bulletin today, you can mark a few things if you're interested. Or if you're one of those people like, Matt, I want to help get the third service off the ground, write that in, and I will contact you, okay? Even if you're just kind of interested, write it down. But next week, we're going to have a chance for you to kind of fill out a card and and how I can serve in the kingdom. And, And here's the last one. I want you guys to give generously. I talked a little bit about how our attendance is growing. Last week I mentioned this, but our giving is a little bit down. <laughs> well, we, we think that should kind of change, and, and we need finances to make all these things work, uh, to pull off a third service, to pull off any of our outreaches that we want to do. We're, we're going to need some funds. So we want to encourage you guys to give. I did have a request to help. We get a lot of people asking how to give online, so I put this little video together to show you how to do it. Very simple, right? Can you watch this quick little video real quick? So if you go on, on your phone, you type in stapletonchurch.com, boom. Up in the right-hand corner, there's those three lines. You come down to give. Pretty simple, right? You hit the Give tab, and you scroll down a little bit. Give online. And then you type in your amount, $10 million. <laughs> and then you click go to one time. You can change it to regularly if you want this to be your regular giving, and you can choose how often you do it, whether it's weekly, monthly, however often you want to do it. And then you hit continue, and then once you do that, it'll ask you to plug in either your credit card information or your bank account. We encourage a bank account because it's a lot less of a fee that we have to pay for that. But we encourage you guys to give. If this is your church home, we ask you to give and to give generously because we want to be a part of the growing kingdom, and I hope that you guys do as well. Okay, I'm going to say a prayer right now. We have one other video to watch as the band is getting up here, but would you guys pray with me? Lord God, I am so grateful that your kingdom continues to grow around the world. It is amazing that in Africa and Latin America and Asia, the kingdom keeps growing and growing and growing rapidly, faster than the population there. Lord, we are so excited about what you're doing around the world that we even can be a part of it through mission trips. But Lord God, we want the kingdom to grow here in our backyard. We want Denver, we want Stapleton, we want Park Hill, we want North Aurora and Green Valley Ranch. We, we want a Reunion and all of Commerce City. Lord God, we want this entire state and region to know who you are. We want to be a part of the growing kingdom. Would you use us for that, Lord? Would you help us to anticipate it? Would you send more harvesters? Would you help us not just grow in the fall But Lord God, whatever comes ahead, show us how to do it. Give us ideas. Help us execute those ideas so that we can reach people. And when those ideas fail, help us to continue to move forward so that we reach more and more people for your kingdom. Because you, Lord Jesus, are the king. And we want to follow you. Amen. Hi, my name is Stephanie. I want to share.
about why I give at Stapleton Church. First, SC is my church home, and I think it's the right thing to do to be giving first and foremost through our local church, because that's what it means to be the church, that we all come together and we give of ourselves, we serve one another by sharing our time and our talents and our treasures so that we can impact our communities with the message of the gospel and we can share the love of Christ around the world. Second, I've had many inspiring examples of generous giving. I think about Edith Johnson, who was a member of what is now Stapleton Church for over 50 years, one of the most generous people I've ever known. I think about my grandparents, whom God used to lead me to Christ and their legacy of giving. I also think about the people who are serving on staff at this church and are missionaries around the world. And it's through our regular and faithful giving, the giving of the membership, that their salaries are paid, uh, we're, we're, our giving is going toward everything that the church needs to operate, paying the electric bill, the heating bill. Um, we're supporting the ministries of the church and our missionaries overseas, as well as those on staff through our regular giving. Um, I also, of course, have the example, the main example of God himself, who has been so generous with us. He has given us our lives. He's given us everything that we need. He's given us a Savior who paid everything on our behalf. And he's given us the Holy Spirit and promised us eternal life. So I want my giving to more and more begin to reflect even a small part of the generosity of God. So I'm so excited to be a part of Stapleton Church and all that God is doing here. I love the future of this church, the vision that Pastor Matt has for the church that he's shared with the elders. And I am looking forward to being the church with all of you as we come together and share our time and our talents and treasures. Thanks. All right, let's pray for this offering. Lord God, we just want to return uh, praise to you right now. Your son Jesus is the king of kings, and we want to worship him. We want to worship him as we give generously right now. Lord, would you take these offerings, would you use them, would you multiply them, so that your kingdom would grow here and around the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.